Nine. Nine pumpkins in my direct line of vision as I sit here writing this from my kitchen table. Two porcelain candle holders, two glittery foam, two wood cutout that we've yet to paint faces on, and one real mini little tiny guy I bought for my neighbor. But honestly, it just looks so cute as part of this centerpiece I might have to pick up another. I have four real ones on my patio too. One from another neighbor, a big orange beauty, plus two white ones that look fake and a big ugly green one that only Mother Nature could create. Pumpkins are just interesting. Whether going out into the field to pick one out for yourself, lifting one of the pre-chosen ones from the pumpkin pageants that pop up outside every gas station, grocery, and hardware store this time of year, or receiving it as a gift from a neighbor. They're touchstones of the season, pops of color, wonders of harvest. And because October, they're the focus of today's episode. Today on Abby Eats St. Louis, we got you pumpkins. We'll teach you some fun facts about the goodest gourd to bring up at your next festive fall gathering and take you to Pumpkinland, the Tees Farm mainstay that's been doing it big every fall for decades. That's great. Yeah, we love that market. What the whimsical world of baby animals and giant pumpkins means for Mr. Tees himself, how they grow the plumpest, roundest, happiest pumpkin they can, and what he really thinks of the pumpkin spice grades. Yeah, it's uh, pumpkins are not just for Halloween. Plus, you know we've got your food news and a hefty weekend planner. About 9,000 years ago, that's when scientists believe the first pumpkins originated right here in North America. They're technically a fruit, which makes sense when you consider watermelons and stuff like that, but it is weird to think about. They're 92% water, and every part is edible, even the stems. They're good for you, too. An excellent source of vitamin A and potassium and beta-carotene, the stuff that makes them orange. Long before we knew that stuff, though, they were an important staple in the Native American farming method and diet, grown alongside corn and beans, and all three plants helped each other survive. Every year, the U.S. produces a billion and a half pounds of pumpkin. That's 1.5 billion pounds of pumpkin, or around 800 million actual pumpkins. 80% of those become ripe for picking in the month of October. And a few thousand of those come from Tees Farm. I am Dave Tees uh, from Tees Farm and Greenhouses. Um, been in this business for, well, all my life, but basically since uh, graduated from Mizzou in 81, so I've been here ever since then. Tees Farm has a few different plots around the area. The one on Hanley Road in North St. Louis County it was Dave's great-great-grandfather's. He started producing fruits and vegetables there back in 1885. They haven't stopped since. They grow a lot of flowers too, all available for retail year round. And it takes a lot of planning, a lot of organizing, and for Dave's brain, a lot of list making to determine when they should be doing what to make sure everything grows according to plan. So it's not just about pumpkins ever. But as we talked seated on some bales of hay in a covered tent in the back field, just feet away from a pen of goats and a miniature cow in the petting zoo, the whole place had gone orange. Yeah, so that, that's the key to it, I think, is to, to have a, a schedule and to know when things need to be done. And, um, you know, talking about pumpkins, that's a prime example. There is a window that they need to be planted in uh, just like basically most fruits and vegetables. But pumpkins, uh, pumpkins are a little bit more of a long-term crop 
for us. So yeah, if you don't get them done when they're supposed to be done, then you know most likely uh, Halloween you're gonna have green pumpkins out there instead of orange ones if you don't get it planted at the right time. If you're too early, uh, then you run into heat like this and it makes the quality of the pumpkin go down. So um, yeah, so there's a, there's so many variables to it. You just have to you have to be able to to be nimble about it, and yet you still need that schedule. Before it winds up carved up in a jack o' lantern or in, made into a pie or whatnot, when about are you starting to really think about pumpkins? Uh, depending on and there's there's you know numerous I mean hundreds of varieties of pumpkins now which you know used to be there was probably 10 or 20 now there's hundreds of varieties depending on every variety when you when you buy the seed when you're going through deciding what you're going to plant uh, it'll tell you how many days from from seeding to to harvest and uh, it can range anywhere from a, a, a short season pumpkin would be about 75 to 80 days. A long season would be 120, 125 days. So, you know, that's number one is to know what you're growing and when it needs to be, you know, the pump, the seed planet. Um, uh, you know, usually the bigger pumpkins um, are longer day. Uh, the well, I shouldn't say that because the pie pumpkins, which are the little three to five pound pumpkin, uh, those are a fairly long day also. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's, you just have to know. You have to consult the list to read yeah, the exact exactly. specifications. Exactly. So when you're talking about all those different types of varieties, how many of those varieties do you have here do you guys focus on? We grow uh, we grow mini pumpkins, uh, the little so they're tiny. So they're meant to be tiny. They're yeah. not just plucked early. Yeah, mini, <laughs> mini pumpkins. Uh, they grow pie pumpkins, the, pie pumpkins, the ones that are small and dense uh, and would pack a lot of flavor. They grow on average four different varieties of what are known as jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, which have a big center, big cavern, you could say, with a lot of guts inside, but less of the fleshy wall part you'd want to eat or cook with. Dave says you could, but it'd be kind of watery. And normally we will grow what we call a Big Mac, which is a 50 to 100 pound pumpkins. Uh, we did not get those planted on time this year, so we, we, we sowed the seed, but we didn't plant them because we were getting too late. Hmm. We knew we wouldn't get the pumpkin we wanted. So Interesting. Don't have, and that was a case with a lot of people because we had so much rain and moisture in in early June uh, that a lot of guys couldn't get them planted. So mm. there's not a lot of the big jumbo pumpkins locally around. Now I'm trying to source some from out of town right now. So we do have them. But some people want them. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just a novelty and some people want them. What about like the, I mean, I'm seeing more and more of those like turquoisey green pumpkins, white yes. pumpkins. Yeah. The aesthetic of pumpkins is starting to look a little different too. Yeah. The blue are the tan pumpkins. Um, and there's several different varieties and names on those now, but those make outstanding uh, pies. And really? they're, yeah, very good for cooking. They don't look appetizing. So <clears throat> right. I'm surprised yeah. by that. But they do. Yeah. Those, in fact, you know, Illinois is, I think, the number one producer of, of uh, canned pumpkins in the nation. Uh, grow thousands and thousands of acres of, and if you would look at a field, you would go, what is that? Because they're, they're not orange, they're tan. Uh, there's what, 
the old timers, like my dad used to call them cow pumpkins for some reason, I don't know, but it's a totally different looking pumpkin, but it is much better for the process of canning. Uh, and it's because it's got that thick meat, less of that uh, core or the middle part with the guts in it. So uh, yes, I mean, pumpkins are all over the place, but yeah, a lot of times the ones that don't look quite as appetizing are the better cookers than the jack-o'-lantern type. In 2021, there have been shortages of all sorts of things, and you might see pumpkin on that list too, because of the hot and wet summer we had, creating less than ideal growing conditions for Illinois and farms around the country. Economists and farmers are having a hard time predicting exactly how bad it'll be or what the implications are, because it seems like every other year there's some article about pumpkin shortages that morning news shows love talking about, but you're able to find your fall stock just fine. Still, if you're planning on baking a pie with it this Thanksgiving or Christmas, it wouldn't hurt to do the 2021 thing and pick up a can of pumpkin filling early. Besides, we know you're getting all of your other pumpkin swag on already anyway. Yeah, it's uh, pumpkins are, are huge. I mean, it, like you said, they're not just for Halloween, they're the decoration. People have wanted to start by, you know, in late September, buying pumpkins for decoration. And you kind of let them know, you know, this pumpkin unless it's in a real good situation it's going to struggle to be good come halloween and well it's okay we'll buy another one for halloween to carve these are just for our front door you know to let people know it's fall and which is cool that's great yeah we love that market market and oh boy is there a market not just for the look or the taste of actual pumpkin or the actual pumpkin to bake with but all things pumpkin adjacent pumpkin flavored pumpkin spice. I don't need to tell you, dear friend, the ubiquity of this pumpkin spice trend. According to our role models over at Food & Wine magazine, the blend of spices that is known affectionately as pumpkin spice, typically cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, allspice, and cloves, has been around in American cooking since the 1700s. They say spice companies like McCormick started packaging them all up together in the 1930s, calling it pumpkin pie spice. Today, McCormick's is a blend of cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, and allspice. Though flavors are the main purveyors of the combo that might as well just be called fall, it's also a scent, a color palette, a vibe. Just Questions not at Pumpkinland. We leave that up to Starbucks or whoever. <laughs> but do you are you a pumpkin spice fan? No, I do not. Um, I don't mind. I love pumpkin pie and I love pumpkin bread. Everything pumpkin. Um, when I drink my coffee, I want it black. Yeah. You're a farmer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know going out and looking in my own scavenging for the perfect pumpkin out there, you pick it up, you kind of look around, you see, oh, it's got a funky shape on one side. Sometimes that's good. Other times you're looking for that beautiful grown thing. And I know that's not how things grow. That's not how it just naturally pops off of there. So how do you, what kind of work goes into making these pumpkins also look good? Because I'm looking around and there are a lot of round, pretty perfect looking pumpkins out here right now. You know, I think now we benefit from from technology of breeding. You know, the, the breeders have, like I said, there are thousands of pumpkin varieties now. So I think we see a better looking pumpkin now just because, you know, we've got 
companies like uh, like well Syngenta and that is I think owned by Bayer. Uh, you know they put a lot of time and money and effort into to growing the pumpkin. That usually what happens is when a pumpkin lays on the ground, that's going to be a flat side, and that still is the case for many. But um, you know I think they're much better than they were 20 years ago as far as that. No, not with regular pumpkins because that's you know grown on a larger scale, which would be impossible. There's enough labor already in it without that. But when you do grow the jumbo pumpkins, like we were talking about, then sometimes we do try to move those so they don't get a real flat side because the heavier the pumpkin, the more it's going to squish down and make a flat side. So uh, there is a little bit of that done, and the guys who grow uh, the giant uh, world record pumpkins, they actually a lot of times will set their pumpkin on a little stand so it'll sit upright and, and fill out perfectly round, and that's, that's how they can get the bigger size and, uh, and a more perfect-looking pumpkin. There's so, something yeah, about there's, the farm. Look, I'm half Polish, half Filipino, 100% St. Louisan, and 0% rural. I don't know country music, and I wear cowboy boots only ironically. But being outside, working with your hands, it just feels good. And not only do farm-raised fruits and vegetables just taste better in general, they also go down easier. It's cool, humbling in a way, to see your food coming out of the ground, or growing off a tree or a plant or whatever. To see the work that goes into it, it makes me value the four pumpkins I brought home from T's farm that day even more to look out onto the field where they grew. I don't plan on eating these pumpkins, but they're good for the heart. And the brain, too. Though they've slowed down a bit because, you know, pandemic, T's farm is a favorite field trip spot for kids around the area. It's fun, Dave says, but they want kids to take home more than just a pumpkin. They want them to leave with a new appreciation also for the because, earth. You know, I mean, a lot of kids have never been uh, on a working farm before. And so really, um, and a lot of kids don't even spend much time outside anymore. So, you know, I think it's an important thing to get kids out and, and you know, teach them you know, this is straw. This comes from when we cut the, when the wheat is cut, you know, the grain goes to making bread and the stubble of the plant goes to making straw. And we build all of our tunnels and forts out of the straw and, and they get to crawl around in that and get itchy and know what it's like to, to play outside and to be on a farm. We give them a wagon ride around the farm and we kind of narrate uh, things that are growing at the time, give them a little information about those, what it took to get those to grow, how long, when they're harvested, that type of thing. So um, besides being fun, we try to make it educational also. Bringing it from the farm into the recording booth with producer Dory Olmos. Hey there, Pumpkin. Hey, Pumpkin. <laughs> I had another fun fact, uh, thanks to the University of California, by the way, for those fun pumpkin facts. Um, I went and got a quick online degree in pumpkinology mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. the weekend. Um, here's another fact I didn't include, though. The practice of carving jack-o'-lanterns was brought to America by Irish immigrants. In their homeland, they used to carve jack-o'-lanterns, but not out of pumpkins. Hmm. Do you know what they used? If it's Ireland and the Irish 
immigrants, I would guess potatoes. Bingo! Look at that deductive <laughs> reasoning. Uh, they taught us that at yes. University of California as well. Um, <laughs> potatoes as well as turnips, huh. which is interesting. But then they didn't, they switched over to pumpkins just because they're easier to carve. Um, and all this jack-o'-lantern stuff came from an Irish legend about a man named Stingy Jack, who mm-hmm. was an, a somewhat unpleasant character, famous for playing tricks on people. That makes sense. Yeah, so the jack-o'-lantern. I just feel like there's not a lot of space to put a light in a turnip, so... Yeah, I don't know how that would work. This is it needed to be a pumpkin, and I'm so glad it is. And if you want to make your jack-o'-lantern out of a pumpkin this year, and not a turnip or a potato, I mean, no judgment if you do, but um, <laughs> if you want to pick up a pumpkin, um, just letting you know that Tease Farm, all three of their pumpkin farm locations, so that's um, in Maryland Heights, Chesterfield... Uh, Maryland Heights, Chesterfield area, um, off Airport Road, and North Hanley Road, and in St. Charles, the pumpkin lands are not requiring reservations this year. So I just want to make sure you all know that because last year they did need that, and there's some places that maybe they still are Mm -hmm. COVID-related. You do not need a reservation this year. All right, Dory, let's talk about some food news. There's a lot to get to here. Yeah, a lot of good, a lot of, a couple things bad. So we'll, we'll, We'll get through the bad first. How about that? A long-time downtown St. Louis mainstay has closed for good. Caligo's Bar and Grill announced that they are closing or have closed after 47 years in business. So the uh, we were previously reported on this a few months ago about um, them filing for bankruptcy. Our partners over at the Biz Journal dug into some of the records as far as that went. And they were at the time hoping to stop an eviction notice Mm. from their landlord obviously things um didn't quite go as well as they were hoping and caligo's which is right there along keener plaza if you don't if you can't picture it in your head it's the place with the awning and like the red green red and green and white if you see the logo and the signage and you're from st louis in any capacity you'll be like oh yeah that place place. because they used to have several locations yes but um yeah Bad news, sad news for them. They have closed for good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We actually, um, one of our teammates here at Five in Your Side was down there shooting video and said that he was kind of chatting off the cuff with the owner and, or, or I'm sorry, with a manager mm-hmm. who just said, you know, this COVID was a nail in the coffin for them. Looking at some of our Facebook comments, though, mm-hmm. a lot of people were reminiscing about the great times. Something we see all the time, Dory, is, mm-hmm. wow, I hadn't been there in years. So just a reminder to you and other, you know, whether it's a place that you know and love and want to keep supporting or maybe just something that, you know, it has been there for a while and you're like, well, maybe it just needs another visit. Paying visits to these places that have been around for forever, you can't take a restaurant for granted around St. Louis. Yes, and we hear that a lot all over the city, to mm-hmm. be honest, but especially downtown right now because... Just not a whole lot of reasons for people to be going downtown these days. There were some Cardinal games, um, but things are still fairly quiet compared to usual, but yeah. starting to pick up a little bit. Right, and Ballpark Village and all these other mm-hmm. things. So there's a lot of a lot of new, um, but, you know, again, that that's a mainstay that's closed here. So um, speaking of mainstays, uh, we have an update on a St. Louis favorite. Yeah, Charlie Gito's. We've got a couple updates for them. So the grandson of the late Charlie Gito Sr. is going to continue the family tradition in St. Louis County. His name is Louis Vangel, and he plans to open an Italian restaurant in Warson Woods where Jay Green's Irish Pub was. Hmm. Yes, so a new restaurant coming there. It'll be under his name, not the Gito name, and he hopes to open next spring. So a little bit of a turnaround there, at least. 
But speaking of downtown, Vangel's mother now owns Charlie Gito's downtown location. That has seen all kinds of ups and downs over the last year because of COVID closures, renovations. They had water damage while they were undergoing renovations. Easy for you to say. (laughs) Right. Um, So they're closed for now still, but hoping to reopen if and when downtown business picks back up again. Interesting move to go not to the Charlie Gito's name with that Orson Woods location. Mm-hmm. I think that that's going to do well, though. That location seems like it would be really great for them. Yes, yeah. And uh, it should scratch that a lot of – or scratch an itch, rather, that a lot of people <laughs> in that area might want. Um, I'm really excited about this this location. That, that location is great. This location – is going to be a real eye catcher. Ah, for sure. So Narwhals is looking to bring a ship to the eastern entrance of the Grove. You she heard said me S- right. S H I P. A ship. A She's ship. A ship. Like a big boat. They are fully leaning into their theming here with this <laughs> one. So it's going to be on a triangular plot of land along Manchester. Right now, there's an old gas station there, but they're planning to build a Narwhals in that spot. It'll have portholes, a deck. And a big old narwhal at the top steering the way. It'll be a combination narwhals and loaded nachos. So kind of like what they have up in St. Charles yeah. down here in the city now. They still have some meetings and permits that they need to go through. And the earliest it could open is early 2023. Now, if you're picturing where this is, yeah, it's about a half a mile from that other narwhal. Which, yeah, yeah. which is near Slough. So while this new location is getting underway, they will still keep that other location open. And they plan to keep it, too, even once the new location is open. They're looking to maybe use it for a variety of things in the future, a test kitchen, perhaps, mm. or just an event space or just a place where they can play around with some other new concepts. Interesting. Well, especially because of its proximity to SLU, I'd say mm-hmm. whatever they do, hopefully they make it kind of SLU student-centric because yeah. as just a visitor, parking can kind of be a pain in that one little spot uh-huh. right there. But it is a cool space that they put a lot of work and effort into. So I like to see that they're doing something. I'm yes. excited about this boat, though. I am, too. I have a couple of renderings. I'm working on a web story right now. So look for that on ksdk.com. But it looks freaking awesome. You need to check that out. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I love a good list story. I love a good St. Louis getting good food news attention on a bigger platform story so tell me this one dory i'm calling that this week's st louis food scene is getting national attention (laughs) because every week we've got one and i love it so this week the new york times compiled a list of the what they're calling the 50 most vibrant and delicious restaurants in 2021 these range from classic places that have been around for a long time to brand new places opening during the pandemic and st louis's little fox meets the list Um, They are a corner bistro in the Fox Park neighborhood. They were touted for punching above their weight, which I thought was kind of cool because they're a little spot there. Yeah, they are. They are. And that is such a great St. Louis tagline, too. Just like St. Louis food scene. We're punching above our weight. Always. Yes. Um, So the New York Times credited the owners Craig and Mowgli for finding their way after the restaurant opened just a few months before the pandemic hit. And they're bustling over there. I love that they use the words vibrant and delicious, not just mm-hmm. like best. Like right. th- that vibrant and delicious, that teaches me something about mm-hmm. these restaurants on this list. I love that. Um, Dory, what's the best thing you had to eat this week? Well, speaking of places that get national attention, um, I went to one of my favorites in my hood over the weekend. We had some friends in town that we haven't seen in a few years. They're in town for a wedding, mm-hmm. celebrating a couple of our other friends. So 
course, Jace and I had to wine and dine them at one of those, the finest spots in St. Louis. We took them to Indo. Yeah. And they loved it. So I, good. I feel like we ordered half of the menu and everything there was delicious and great. Um, we got some of our old favorites, the shrimp toast, the Asan hamachi, which is honestly one of my favorite dishes ever. And then the Benatoro, which is, oh, chef's kiss. Amazing. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, but we also tried a couple new things. We really digged the roasted saguaro, which was almost like an Asian fusion take on French onion soup. Mm, I think you would love it. That sounds really good. It was really good. Huh. Um, and then we also got the laksa, which had Russell's mussels and red curry in it. And Really, any dish that we get there, the sauce is always yeah. so good. You just want to drink it up. But it was all really good. Oh, I forgot. We also got a cocktail. I don't remember what the cocktail was, but it had a lollipop that was Tom Ka. A Tom Ka. Oh, lollipop. yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was really Interesting. good. Was it sweet? It was sweet? A little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Huh, that sounds really good. Yeah. It's been a hot second. I need to go to, in- you make me crave Indo right now. Mm-hmm. Mine is something I had to drink, actually. Okay. Um, so stop by the Harvest Festival at Tower Grove Park this past weekend and um, stop by the tent at the, okay, and I meant to ask them how to pronounce it, but they were so busy that mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, run, in th- run through, run through. And I've had this before, but no, no, is it Noblois? Noble, it looks like Nobleois. And honestly, if in St. Louis, it's Nobleois. But the winery? Yes. I know what yes. you're talking about. Yeah. So it's in that Augusta area. And they're kind of, from what I understand, a bit of a holdout on this whole Hoffman redevelopment. I think so, yes. Um, they're sticking to their, they, they want to, you know, keep their independence and keep working on what they're working on. And I've got to say, their canned sangria is so delicious. It's the swirl canned sangria. I've had it a couple of times this summer, the uh, the red variety. This Sunday, I tried the white wine. So it's, you know, kind of a citrusy peach. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so good. It's nice and light. Uh, Just a great place or a great thing to sip on. Word to the wise, though, (laughs) I did not realize that there's, it's little print at the back of the can equal to one half bottle wine. That is a lot for a can. When you're used to drinking a can uh-huh. at a certain pace. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially on a hot day like Sunday was. Uh-huh. I had <laughs> a half bottle of wine walking around in a hot summer St. Louis afternoon with a family dinner planned afterwards. So that was interesting. So just like keep in mind that like when you crack open a can, it might be good to split it with somebody and sip it slowly. Uh, it's delicious. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a fun little surprise that I had there. But the swirl and they sell them in some um, some of these local places that okay. sell uh, you don't have to go to an event, but they've been at a couple of these events at Tower Grove Park. Um, but, you know, the kind of more local fine foods places will have some in the fridge as well for I, you. I was wondering if they were selling locally because I think you sent me a picture of it. It looked really good. It is, it, really, it is really good. I have one more can, so we must split it <laughs> because it's a half bottle of wine. Dory, we are talking about the weekend of October 15th through 17th. We are firmly in October. We are firmly in the fall. So let's go through this weekend planner. Yeah, if you want to take your f- normal food truck night and spookify it a little bit, the food truck Fright is happening in O'Fallon, Missouri this weekend. It's on Friday night. You can head to Dames Park, and uh, they have that fall version there. There'll be five trucks serving up food, plus drinks from beer outside and treats from the S'more Shack. That sounds awesome. So Instagrammable. 
perfectly fall. Mm-hmm. Get out there. You can also enjoy some live music and a glow-in-the-dark egg hunt for the kids. But a note on that, you need to pre-register for that part of the food truck freight. If you've been holding out on the whole Oktoberfest thing and you're looking for just the right one to go to, this could be it. It's Oktoberfest at Urban Chestnut on Friday and Saturday. Two days of live music, food, and of course your beer. This is the 10th annual event uh, for October. Or I'm sorry for Urban Chestnut, but it's the first time this will ever happen at their Grove Brewery and Beer Hall location. Uh, based on the event map, it looks like they're shutting down a stretch of Manchester in front of the brewery as well. That's to accommodate the crowd that's expected. Um, so don't let that scare you off, though. That just means there's more room for you to have some fun there. No ticket is required, and it is free to go. Just pay for what you want while you're there. It is a cash-only event. Keep that in mind. That's kind of opposite of what we're thinking with mm-hmm. most COVID-related things, but it's cash-only. Uh, there's a Stein-holding competition on Saturday, and it's pet-friendly. And then for the entire weekend, Friday through Sunday, Get your Greek on. St. Louis County Greek Festival is back this weekend with another curbside event. You can enjoy a variety of Greek comfort foods, and you can pre-order online. If you're listening to this Thursday, I suggest you get online. Pre-order right now because they sell out and they book up fast. So select what you want online, and you can then pick it up. This is happening at Assumption Greek Orthodox Church in town and country. Friday is uh, Friday through Halloween, rather. So it starts Friday, and then it'll keep on going. Is Boo at the Zoo? This is happening every night from five to eight thirty. Does get dark a little earlier, so that's kind of a perfect time for it. Live entertainment every night. They'll have special food and drink offerings there. You do need reservations, and there is a cost ranging from nine to eleven bucks, but. It's a great thing that's happening every night. So, you mm-hmm. know, if your weekends are pretty full and crazy busy and you're looking for something fun to do during the week, head on over to the zoo. And then if you want to continue the spooky fun at the zoo, there's a more friendly, family-friendly version of it happening on the weekends. Uh, this is Hollow Weekends is what the event is called. It's free, uh, so you don't have to pay. You still need to have a timed reservation, though, to get into the zoo no matter what. You can watch the animals stomp and chomp on special pumpkin treats, see some not-so-scary Halloween decorations, and then enjoy some fall-themed food. And just a note on this one, it is not a trick-or-treating event. Just be aware of that. Saturday and Sunday, Old Webster is having Walktoberfest. Of all the, like, Oktoberfest variations, I don't know if I've heard Walktober Mm-mm. yet. So there's there's a new one for you. It involves walking as well as shopping and dining at Old Webster on the sidewalks, patios, outdoor spaces. About 30 different businesses are participating, and each one is planning something different and special to welcome in the fall. So it's a great excuse to walk around a gorgeous part of Webster there. And Saturday, the Science Center is bringing back their big popular alcohol-themed adult-only <laughs> nights. We love an adult-only night in St. Louis, <laughs> yeah. don't we? Yeah, so this is the St. Louis Beer Fest that's happening. It's an after-hours event for the 21 and up crowd. You can sample 120 different what? beers. I 120 know. beers? That's amazing. Yes, from more than 40 different breweries, and then you get to stumble and wander your way through the Science Center. <laughs> I've had friends do it before, and they loved it. Mm-hmm. Friends stumbled through, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I know nothing from personal experience. <laughs> um, tickets are required for this. They range from 50 to $65, but Whatever option you get, unlimited samples are included in that price. Yeah, Dory, we're going to have to start recording this podcast earlier in the week <laughs> so that I have more time to decide what I'm going to do over the I weekend. Um, 
Starting Sunday, though, and through the following Sunday, it is St. Louis Taco Week. So this is another one of those special events where you're just encouraged to go out and try tacos this time from all different places. More than 30 different spots around St. Louis are offering these $5 taco specials. Great way to get out there, support local. There's a full list of restaurants in the episode notes. Oh my gosh, Jory, I feel like we need to take a breather after that weekend planner. Like, so much going on this weekend. So much going on. I could have included probably a dozen more events. There's a lot of Halloween and fall-related things going on. A lot of family-friendly events happening. Very cool. So we have a list on, a couple lists on our website that are events that are fall-themed and events that are Halloween-themed. I'm going to put the links to both of those in the episode notes, too. So if you want to check that out this weekend or even plan ahead for the next couple weekends, you can check that out. Abby Eats St. Louis is a Five in Your Side production. I'm Abby Larico. And I'm Dory Olmos. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We want to make sure that you have fun things to do and you know about it, know all the food news and know all the stories. And we have a very fall episode coming at you next week as well. Leave us a rating and a review and let us know your thoughts on our Instagram. We're at Abby Eats St. Louis. Have a fantastic fall very gourd weekend. Can I say that? Mm, yes, absolutely. Gourd weekend and seize the flames.